Hello and welcome to a live Kerfefe break on Deprogram with Carrie Smith. This is a new channel. We've only been around three months now, three months, and we're almost at 10,000 subscribers. I'm so grateful for everyone who's, who's uh, been hanging out with us and telling people about the new channel. If you like the show, uh, consider hitting like. If you don't like it, you can hit don't like, but no one will know because it doesn't tell us anymore. Uh, and uh, what else? I uh, Just one announcement. I have a, a speaking engagement coming up in Austin. So if you guys are in the Texas area, um, June 10th, which is a Friday, I'll be speaking at the Austin Public Library with Megan Murphy and Michelle Evans and a few other ladies. It's going to be a whole discussion about women leaving the left and the different places we end up. Um, so I'll drop a link to that in the description here. I won't keep my uh, guest today waiting. You guys may recognize him from one of the first interviews I did on this new channel. Um, he's a marriage and family licensed therapist, and he also is a board member of a nonprofit that's called Walk the Talk America, which is all about mental health and firearms. Please welcome Jake Wiskirchen. What up? Did I get yeah. Hi, Jake. <laughs> hey, did you say 10,000 subscribers in three months? Yes, we're almost at 10,000. That is absolutely astonishing. Congratulations. Uh, thank you. Yeah. Yeah, that's super cool. Um, I'm, I'm I think really my grateful. YouTube channel has like 300. <laughs> Thousand? <laughs> no, no. no, like triple digits, three, three, 300 and something. Yeah. It's like that. What, cool. a, what a great reach. I mean, like, that's, uh, you know, it's so cool. Like, I, I think back to, um, you know, how do, how do we reach people, right? It's like hold a seminar. It's like how many people attend the seminar, 20 or 30? You know, maybe if you're lucky, you get like 100. And I mean, when you get into the thousands, like the amount of impressions you can make, it's just, it's so cool how technology has worked that way for us. It is for as much as we curse it. Like that's, that's awesome. Good job. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. I've heard, I heard Jordan Peterson talking about that a few years ago about how mm -hmm. um, with so many people watching alternative alternative media right and watching podcasts and stuff on youtube that eventually he sort of envisioned the university just moving yep. online um but then you have to figure out how to do how to credential it and everything yep. but um i think it would also hopefully make it less expensive probably not <laughs> yeah, I, I heard the but, same uh i heard that same. i think it was a rogan interview i think it was probably the second time you appeared on rogan uh it blew my mind and um i mean i was taken with with Jordan Peterson the first time I heard him on Rogan back in like late 2016 before things really blew up. And the second time when I heard him talk about that, I was like, this dude, this dude's brilliant. Yeah. And I fell in love. Yeah. He, I don't remember if we talked about this the first time, but he, he helped me change my whole life. Everything. Um, me too. He's, he's been yeah. an unwitting mentor for a long time and I'd love to, I'd love to have him on my show and I'd love to be on his show to talk about what we're doing. Cause mm -hmm. I think the overlap of the audiences would be, incredible but and yeah. that's not just me fanboying like i think i think there's some legitimate currency there but one of these oh days. well jake that's related to our topic so one of the first mm -hmm. things oh well first of all i apologize to you guys for being late uh my husband and i were selling my truck it took longer than i thought and i appreciate you being patient and then the other thing is uh jack buckby couldn't make it he couldn't get a room for today uh to do the to do the uh, discussion with us and but he said to tell you hello jake and he would love to talk to you sometime and i'd love uh, to meet him yeah, yeah i think you guys would have a really interesting conversation so um but to get back to jordan peterson one of the first things i thought i'll just tell you where my head's been out this week after this um awful 
evil school shooting here in Texas, the first thing I thought of is we're okay. We're going to get back into that same old, that same old thing that happens in the the media cycle, the the news cycle. And if any of these media personalities or politicians actually cared about the problem, they should be talking to someone like Jordan Peterson, because I remember him. I remember him talking about the Columbine shooting in such a way where I could tell he had read, well, he had read the diaries. I had, I had read those diaries of Eric Harris as well. And uh, he talked about the Columbine tapes and he was sort of, the way he talked about it was as, um, it, it was about a person who, and I'm going to mangle his words, but it's about a person who is, who rejects the the state of being, who's not just so depressed that they want to take their own life, but really resentful of life itself to, to the degree where they want to take other lives out with them. They want to destroy as many lives as they can. And if they actually cared about this issue, I think they would be trying to get to the root of what drives people to such a place to commit such an evil and how do we address that? And I don't think we're going to have that conversation. And I don't think they're going to have Jordan Peterson on the mainstream news to talk about what might be going on with young people um, and, or people it's, in general. So that's it's just, what I had it's to hard. Say. Yeah, you're right. And, and to echo some of that, uh, there's been this uh, very palpable and sometimes it w explicitly expressed uh, sense of black pilling since Tuesday um, across all my colleagues and friends and Twitter friends and um, specifically with me within the, the the firearms mental health slash mental health world. So, I mean, you can see I'm wearing this T-shirt. If you're just getting the audio, it says the intersection of guns and mental health. And that speaks to the organization Walk the Talk America, which is what I'm here to discuss. But um, the work we've been doing for the last three years was was gaining some pretty good traction and we were pretty hopeful. And then this thing happened and it was like, it was different than the Buffalo shooting because this was children, young yeah. children. Right. And it strikes the psyche in a different way. But instead of being humble and curious and advancing toward understanding, everybody just seemed to double down on their old talking points and they're talking past each other. And it was just so disheartening. Um, and I can get more into that too. But then I, you know, I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to bomb everybody that I can on Twitter right now. And I, I chimed in with WTTA links and posts and resources and whatnot. I must've engaged 30 or 40 different threads, uh, Tuesday night, Wednesday morning, I expected to wake up to all these notifications. I got 14 and all oh. but one were likes. And the one was a guy who I talked to you know, infrequently, but, um, regularly. And he said, I wasn't aware of it. Thanks though. I'll check it out. Like that, yeah. that was the limit of my engagement. I was like, am I being suppressed right now? Like just because yeah. I'm saying guns and mental health in the same sentence or what? Like it was unbelievable. I pinged large accounts, small accounts, people I talked to regularly, good friends, distant friends, like not a peep. And I was like, mm -hmm. this can't be happening. So I got a little, I got a little bummed out on Wednesday. Um, but, uh, but I mean, overall, I'm like, I'm still, I've, I've still found my, <laughs> I've dug deep and I found hopefulness in, in some of this stuff. So, um, I don't know. I feel well, like as well. Well, so why don't we start with, because you did, you responded to 
I th the thread I said, you know, where they should be talking to someone like Peterson. And you said, yeah, none of the media is hitting us up. Yeah, my, my phone's walk, not ringing either. Yeah. Walk the Talk America. Can you tell us a little bit about what you guys do? Why don't we start there? What do you do at Walk the Talk America? Yeah, good idea. Let's, let's start, start from the beginning instead of the middle. Um, okay, so Walk the Talk America, WTTA.org, for those who are interested, um, is an organization. It's a 501c3 founded by people in the firearms community who are uh, industry folks. Uh, the the founder, Mike Sedini, he lives in Las Vegas, but he's originally from, well, he's kind of from all over, but uh, New Jersey is where he's, he's he kind of claims mostly because that's where his family's company is. And his company was called Eagle Imports. And Eagle no longer exists, but uh, about four years ago, he sold his part of it. He's a third generation firearms importer. And Eagle imported international, uh, internationally made, firearms to the US and then they just did marketing and distribution for those guns. And um so in 2009 the uh president of that company, one of his best friends, Bill Strominger, took his own life with one of their own guns and nobody talked about it. Everybody just kind of swept it away and life moved on and and that gnawed at Mike for a long time and so many years later he decided that he had to, you know, quote unquote do something. And um and that doing something was to form WTTA to try to bridge the gap between mental health and firearms owners. So 2019, I meet up with him. I had him on my podcast called Noggin Notes that I've had for many years now. And uh, I, I linked up because one of my very good friends here in town, who I went to school with, runs his mother's uh, retail store and range called Reno Guns and Range. And they've been a big supporter for you know, since, since we connected, but he turned, Jordan turned me on to WTTA. I reached out to Mike, Mike and I had a podcast and then we became best friends. Cause I realized I'm a gun owning practitioner and I have to come out of the closet and own this space because nobody I knew was doing it. And it turns out now three years later, I still don't know too many people who are doing it because there's stigma on both sides. Um, there's stigma in the firearms community about going and getting help because they think that I have some magical bat phone to the government that's going to tattle on them and steal their property. And on the flip side, mental health practitioners don't really express any interest to understand gun owners. And so when gun owners come in for care, uh, we tend to be awkward and clunky with our language when we spook them and scare them away. And then nobody gets help and then they take their own lives because they didn't get help. So I I had to I had to step forward and say, I don't I don't really care what people think of this. I'm I'm going to own this space of doing both. So since then, I have helped create some curriculum for mm -hmm. practitioners to improve their cultural competence of what gun culture is. And it's not what you think it is. I don't care. <laughs> I don't care what you think right now. It's not that. Um, okay. it's, I've learned a ton. I've been a lifelong gun owner, but I was never really into the community until meeting up with these guys. And I've learned that it is vastly diverse, probably more diverse than the healthcare community itself. The um, gun culture. The gun gun community. Yep. Uh, so it's, it's far from the middle-aged white guy with the beard and the belly. Yeah. Um, it's, it's every demographic you could possibly think of. And what else I've recently learned was that the NRA for all its, you know, uh, presence and money and influence at its peak only had, we, and this number is uh, probably overblown, had 5 million members. So if you assume that there's a hundred to, to 110 million, now probably North of 130 million gun owners in America, you're talking at most, that the NRA represented 5% of gun owners. Wow. So yeah, it's, it's, it's just really, there's a lot of myths that, that I had blown up in my head. Um, I had to change my mind about a lot of things 
And, um, and I, I invite other people to figure that out too, so that we can help people who need help. And the flip side of that coin is to demystify counseling for gun owners so that they understand what to expect with regard to treatment plan and time limits on therapy and what we can and can't do and what the difference is among the, the post-nominal letters and the credentials, like what's a social worker versus a psychologist versus a marriage and family therapist versus a psychiatrist. Um, and then, uh, and then try to bring help, right. And make it, make it less spooky and less intimidating and, and drop some of the suspicion. Some of the other stuff we do, uh, just to put a bow on this about the organization is we have these flyers uh, and I'll hold one up here for those who are watching. It says, uh, mental health, it's okay to talk about it. And then on the flip side, uh, there's a, a white space for a local agency like mine. Mine is Zephyr Wellness. You can stamp it. And these sit passively on the counters at stores and retail retail stores and ranges so that if you're in there shopping uh, or waiting for your purchase to be checked out, or your background check to come back, you can just pick it up and look at it and tuck it away. And on this flyer, it says WTTA.org slash love. Take a free and anonymous mental health screening today. And gun owners love anonymity and everybody loves free. So you can go to the, the website, take a free and anonymous mental health screening. There's 14 of them. A couple of them are in Spanish and just see how you're you're checking out, right? See how your, mm -hmm. your brain is ticking. Uh, we also have these flyers, a different version, but very similar, put into gun boxes and accessories packaging so that when you buy a new firearm, if, for those of you who've never done it before, you open it up the box, guns inside, but on top is like the warranty information and uh, some other stuff, the federally mandated cable lock. And this is now in 19 different manufacturers uh, boxes, including Arms Corps, which now prints the screening right on the side of their ammo boxes. So we're trying to get people access to this care that they previously thought was spooky or of the occult or whatever it is. Uh, wristbands say the same thing, yeah. WTTA.org slash love. Um, so we're, we're trying to do a lot in the, in the realm of education conversation. So one of the, what, what are some of the reasons that gun owners might fear, get, you know, seeking mental health? I know yeah, some of these reasons, but I think I don't know all of them. And, uh, well, a lot of it is just cultural, uh, misunderstanding. Um, so we're, we're mandated reporters. Uh, there's teachers, counselors, uh, healthcare workers, you know, a lot, a lot of people are mandated reporters. And what does that mean? It means you're required by the state, if you're practicing with this license, uh, whatever it may be, uh, childcare, to call in suspicion of abuse or neglect or isolation, typically is the, the language, of vulnerable people. Vulnerable people tend to be children, the elderly, and the handicapped. So if I suspect abuse, neglect, or isolation, I have to report that to the authorities to make sure that we're keeping people safe. Other mandated reports include threat to harm of self or others. And so if I suspect that you're imminently presently going to harm yourself or someone else by taking a life, for example, I have to report that as well. So that gets twisted in the public sphere into don't go get help if you own guns because the counselor is going to connect anxiety and firearms ownership to conclude you're at risk. Now, some of that is afraid. true. They're yeah. afraid their guns might get taken away. It, that, well, or they just don't want to deal with a uh, higher level of care. Yes, there are red flag laws, and we can get into that later because um, I know quite a fair deal about that as well. But the, um, but they, they, they don't want to be judged or have, have, have to be forced into the hospital or have the ambulance take them to the acute care facility or whatever it is. So, so they just don't show up. And I've encountered this many times over with uh, misinformed students, interns, colleagues who – you know, come and they say, you know, I, 
I heard that this uh, four-year-old goes shooting with his dad. Do I need to call CPS? It's like, please, God, no. <laughs> wow, <laughs> no. yeah. Um, and they just don't know. They just don't know because they're, they're, they're gone ignorant, right? They just, they don't know. They don't know that it's an inanimate object and it's not going to just jump up and start shooting people. Um, and then, of course, I followed up with like, well, is the four-year-old like firing? Is there an adult present? Like, do we, what else do we know? It's like, no, no, he just said that he goes and shoots guns with his dad. All right, no, no, we don't make that call. No. And <laughs> similarly, we've had people come into the office and, and contact us on social media as well who say, like, if I didn't have my guns, I wouldn't be alive to today because they're therapeutic to me. I need to go shoot. It's, yes. a, it's a release. Um, it's a couple cathartic. of articles I posted recently about children who, through gun training and competition, have learned to quell some of their anxious or ADHD symptoms. Uh, one kid who's, uh, I can share this later too, is, um, is diagnosed with autism and he finds range time very effective in controlling some of the, his, uh, his behavior. So, you know, guns can be very therapeutic because it requires a great deal of focus, concentration, discipline, uh, just like uh, martial arts. Breathing discipline. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. All of it. Yeah. So that's, that's part of it. And then, and then we get into the legal aspects of the new laws that have been passed over the last few years with regard to, uh, extreme risk protection orders or ERPOs, ERPOs. Uh, so you think protection order, that's like a restraining order commonly called in like the movies. And, um, what it is, is it's, it's the same type of deal. So if you and I are in conflict and I, you know, hit you with a protection order, you're not allowed to come near me for a period of time. Well, the, the extreme risk protection orders read basically the same way, but except for people, it's firearms. So if, uh, if I believe that you're a threat to yourself and I can articulate this um, because I'm a family member, for example, or a law enforcement officer, I can petition a judge and uh, fill out this petition and say, I think, I think Carrie needs to be separated from her firearms for a period of time. Then the judge rules on that, and then they can send the deputies to your door and say, you know, please, Miss Smith, uh, hand over your firearms. We're going to keep you safe. Um, there's many problems with that, and I have a whole presentation on it. I'm not going to go deep into the weeds here, mm -hmm. but many problems with that with regard to due process, uh, property rights, uh, you know, Fourth Amendment stuff, Second Amendment stuff, obviously. Right. Um, and then in different states, those laws read a little differently. So most of them are co copycats of each other. Nevada looks like Oregon's looks like. California's, for example, and they all say law enforcement or family member can file this petition. Well, New Jersey, for example, I think Connecticut, if I'm not mistaken, they say any person, which then sends the message of like, well, it could be my clinician who red flags me and takes my guns. So that's that's another point of, of misunderstanding where people in my field and my profession need to understand that's not what we reach for first if somebody's in harm's way. The first thing we reach for is a higher level of care. And now there's problems with that too, because if you want to go buy a gun, you have to check the box, the 4473 form and says, have you ever been involuntarily committed to a, a psychiatric hospital or have you been um, adjudicated Adjud mentally defective, right? And it's, it's old language. It's archaic. It's outdated. But the point is, it's still there. It's still on the form. So it's either like, well, I had this tough time this one time when I was like 19 years old. I'm now 43. Uh, I went, I spent some time in a psychiatric care facility. I'm better now. That was a dark time in my life when, you know, my, my fiance dumped me or my grandma got run over by the reindeer or whatever, mm -hmm. whatever it is. And, and now I'm better. I'm, I'm, I'm looking at, do I lie on the form and commit perjury or a felony or do I, um, or do I tell the truth and, and don't get to buy my gun? Right. So that's a problem too. And that's where it sends the message of like, 
don't go seek mental health care or you're going to lose your rights. So th th it only interweaves into this cultural uh, fabric of like, avoid health care, you might lose your rights. And that's that's where we stand on that. And then there's transfer laws, too, that stand in the way of that of somebody trying to do the right thing. If you're in a crisis and I just want to take your guns away from you for a period of time in states like Nevada, where I live, I can't do that because uh, we would both become misdemeanants uh, or felons in some states because we didn't go through the background check process. So mm -hmm. it's um, it's it's tough. Um, and that's what we're fighting. We're fighting a lot of a lot of battles on different fronts. But yeah. I'll stop there because that's a long Monologue. No, just that's, that's great. I, I wanted to know, you know, all about what it is that you guys do. I'm wondering if I can have uh, just ask you some questions about your position on things that you're making me mm -hmm. think about your personal opinion on, um, for example, I've always supported the rule that says if you've been involuntarily committed to a mental health facility, or if you've been adjudicated as mentally unfit by a judge, that you you probably shouldn't be allowed to own a gun. Right. Um, should I rethink that? Uh, not necessarily. So mm -hmm. there's times when, you know, if you're a 2A person, uh, hear me very carefully. I'm not saying 2A comma, but I'm saying 2A. And here's, here's where we need to be responsible. There's times when people shouldn't have their guns around. And I think we can all agree to that. Um, there's times when grandpa shouldn't have his car keys and we should all agree that well, where, where I stand is I don't think the state should be de declaring when that time is, but if it's going to, then it better have a pathway back out. So red flag laws, for example, we have a very clear path to rights restriction, but we don't have a clear path to rights restoration. And this, uh, this trickles into things like, um, criminal justice reform with regard to prisons and felony convictions, because we still have a box to check too, when you go to employment. Or for me, if I'm, you know, carrying a license from the state that gives me their, you know, blessing to practice marriage and family therapy, I have to declare all my criminal convictions. And some places reject you outright for having a felony in your past. Okay, well, there are different kinds of felonies, but let's let's just blanket them all and say they're all bad and and you should lose rights, voting rights, uh, employment rights, uh, gun rights. Okay, great. But if we're going to be real serious about the rehabilitation part of prison and criminal justice. And we're going to put the, put the C in the department of correction, the DOC and actually use it to correct something. Well, then we have to have a path back. I work in a field that, that hangs its hat on evolution, growth, development, progress, rehabilitation, and healing. Mm -hmm. This runs afoul of that. This says once broken, always broken. And yeah. I'm, I'm not on board with that message ever. You can be broken. That's fine. And you should not have access to a lot of things when you're broken, like um, pain pills if you're addicted or the internet if you're having trouble with fidelity issues with your spouse or, you know, lots of things that we can put, we can impose self-restrictions on. Um, time of mental crisis, uh, change the code on the safe and give it to your to your best friend or your, or your wife or something until you're out of that crisis. If the government's going to come in and say, you must do this thing because you did this other thing that led to the restriction, well, then they better darn well give you a, a track to follow to get out of it. Mm. And there's the rub, right? So for a red flag law, it's well all well and good for a judge to say, yep, you're clearly uh, out of your mind. You shouldn't be around firearms because you might hurt yourself or others. Okay, we're going to restrict access. That's fine. How do we get them back now? Person goes in, says, hey, judge, I'm good now. I've spent my time with my counselor. I, you know, got on the right medication. I, you know, found God. Okay. Judge goes, all right. Hmm. 
who do we have to decertify this person? And then they're shoulder tapping people like me or other psychologists, you know, around the, the community saying, hey, can you evaluate this guy to make sure he's safe or this gal to make sure she's safe? And we're like, I don't know. Am I competent to do that? Is that even in my scope of practice? Uh, so we end up with this weird treadmill of people just kind of existing in purgatory, much like when you commit a crime, and you go to prison, you come out and, you know, the state says, yep, you've paid your debt to society, uh, but you still don't have any rights. <laughs> like, well, that's yeah. not fair. That's that's not justice. So, um, yeah, you can still have that thought that people shouldn't be around firearms. I personally believe and the organization believes that we don't need government intervention to do it. We should be personally accountable to each other. Um, but while we're doing that, we need a mechanism by which we can go back to the way we were before the, the thing happened. Okay. Uh, you know, my mind goes to the Virginia Tech shooter because when I first learned about some of these laws, um, well, first of all, my mind goes there because so often I see whenever there is a, a mass shooting like just occurred uh, in the news, instead of talking about the root causes of why people are drawn to do this evil, of what's going wrong, I think there really is an epidemic of something happening, but I think what we're, we all want to talk about are the symptoms of it instead of the root. Yeah. And yeah. um and but anyway, in, in talking about the symptoms, I immediately see politicians um, um, among all the different policies they want to start pushing. They always go after one of those is to go after a specific type of gun and to go after the rifle, mm -hmm. um, which rifles only account for. Last time I looked, it's it's less than three percent of gun deaths a year. Yeah. Um, but but they will focus on that one. And I have opinions on why they focus on that one. Um, but the Virginia Tech shooter didn't use a rifle. He used handguns. And I think up until the Orlando shooting, that was the, the worst in terms of casualties. I think he killed, I think it was 36 or something with handguns. Um, and the other reason I think of him is because he had been adjudicated as mentally unfit by a judge, but he lived in a state at the time that did not report those records to um, NICS. Yeah. Um, and so that's something that I thought I made my mind up on a few years ago and you are giving me reason to think about it. Like, I do think that's reasonable to say, I still agree with it, but maybe there, maybe there should be, if the government's going to impose it, then they should also give you a way out of it. Um, but, uh, but if that state, I do believe, and, and maybe this will make me unpopular with some people in the chat today, but I, I believe that if, if we do have a law that says, you're not allowed to obtain a gun if you've been adjudicated as mentally unfit. Um, that that should not be left up to the states to decide if they're going to report or not. I think that Virginia should have reported that. And could he still, could that guy still have found guns some way illegally? Well, yeah, but why make it easy for him? A lot of these, a lot of these shooters are so antisocial. They're so awkward. Um, they're not going to find that it's going to be much harder for them to get weapons if they can't do it legally and we if we already have that law that says he should not have been able to purchase that handgun um that's something i feel there's all these gun there's all these people on the left who wanted to like what can we agree on what can i'm like well here's one little thing i think which is in my opinion the state should be reporting those records i don't know where you stand on that well yeah i mean you're getting into um repositories and sharing of of information and 
depending on your personal interpretation of what liberty looks like, um, some people are all for it because it's like all done under the auspices of information sharing and better healthcare and connecting systems and um, all that stuff, which sounds great. Um, but the more you involve uh, multiple hands in the pot, the less control you have over who can view it and so forth. Um, and then where does it go? And yes, we have federal protections on um, exchange of information electronically. That's that's HIPAA. It's been around since 1996. Uh, 1P, 2As, by the way, for those of you spelling at home uh, in HIPAA. But um, it makes me a little skittish because I don't know whose eyeballs are falling upon that. And I don't want to share my patient records with just anyone, um, whether or not they have um, supposedly been trained in HIPAA protections. Um, but it also opens up a, a Pandora's box of sorts where it's like, well, okay, you're adjudicated mentally unfit. That's a pretty high bar to meet, honestly. Like if you're in front of a judge and the judge is like, yep, given all the evidence, um, you're mentally unfit. That is so rare that I would be completely comfortable with somebody having lots of things taken away for that reason. But again, if I'm in the field of rehabilitation, I need to, I need to know how we get out of it. Right. I right. don't want to just pretend people are broken for life. All right. Right. So there's that, but then there's the other side of the coin that says, have you been involuntarily committed? And it's like, that's a way lower bar, like way, way lower bar. Um, I could be suicidal because my, uh, abusive ex lover is threatening to kill me. And I'm like, I don't want to deal with this. I'll just take my own life. Somebody steps in front of it, gets me the care I need. I shake out of it, get right, um, and now I'm I'm not allowed to buy a firearm to protect myself from that th same person who sent me into that situation in the first place. Like the the domestic mm -hmm. violence and sexual violence implications of laws like red flag and the four four seven three form, the you know the box check, are um, they have many many unintended consequences. Uh, waiting periods are the same thing, and you know and so. Walk the Talk America at its core is a suicide prevention organization. I want to start moving that way too, because Mike, when he founded the organization, was all about finding the next mass shooter and stopping it. Just the, the same as every other conversation on Twitter the last four days. Um, but where he got pointed to through consultations with many other experts in the field was focus on suicide. That's where you're going to move the needle on gun deaths. Yeah. And it's true. If you look at the pie chart, I mean, two thirds of gun deaths are suicides um, yeah. about 14% are homicides and the, the remaining balance are negligence. Um, mass shooters comprise anywhere between eight tenths of a percent and about 3% of all firearms deaths. It's, it's, it's nothing, but it does grab our attention. It pings our limbic system emotionally when we see this stuff on the, on the news media. So, and I talked about emotional functioning last time. I don't have to rehash it here. You can watch my mm -hmm. videos, but the idea is that we're so, we're so moved neurologically to act when we see fear provoking things that we want to retreat into defense mode to protect ourselves from those things. Um, and then the, the debate happens like, well, you know, the only way to stop a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun. Okay. That's one way to protect. Another way to protect might be somebody's idea to restrict access. Another might be magazine capacity, but I would go, look, if you really want to move the needle on gun deaths, magazine capacity isn't going to do any good because it takes one round to take a life your own. Right? So, it doesn't matter if it's, you know, you drop it all the way down to three in your magazine. Mm -hmm. That's not going to move the needle on suicides. And that's where, where our hearts are is in suicide prevention. Now, I believe that if we if we attack suicides and we hit the mental health angle there, 
the the ripple effect will be across the rest of the community to improve parenting, improve families, uh, reduce addictions, all sorts of things that that center on self care through proper access to psychotherapy and psychotropics and all sorts of things. And by extension, we'll we'll get that problem is, and this goes back to something you mentioned earlier about the political, you know, low hanging fruit. Um, that's a long term solution, and it doesn't meet the political election cycle. Yeah, you can't you can't fundraise on. Hey, wait, wait, hang in with me for twenty years. We'll yeah. we'll see the data. I promise. Right? That doesn't work. It doesn't even work for grant funding cycles. Like they go three to five years tops. So it's just not expedient to be patient. And it also flies in the face of our instant gratification society that wants results right now. You know, so it's it's just very very challenging, and it's hard for people to buy into something that they can't see yet. Yeah. I, you're making me think of something, Jake. I'm sorry. I was pulling it up while you're talking because as you're talking about suicides, I, I was, I was digging into, did you see yesterday all over the news? Um, it's, it's like when they all get, when they all get the same story or the same press release and, and every outlet is reporting the same headline and all over the news yesterday, I was seeing this headline here. I'm going to pull it up. Um, let me see if I can figure this out. Uh, share. It's a headline about gun deaths and children are now the leading cause of death and how it's Oh, right. Yeah. Did you see that? that? I saw, I saw that a few weeks ago, actually. Um, yeah. Um, but, but that's but yesterday, but yesterday there was like a news blitz about it. So mm -hmm. this just well, happens to be, obviously it's coordinated. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Right. That, it, we, we learned that we learned that in like February or March or something uh, yeah. might have been April, but, but the, uh, but yeah, and my, my commentary on that was, well, yes, um, disaggregate suicides from homicides first. Yes. Because uh, so, I don't, I'm not interested in opening the flap on, on that data point unless we're going to disaggregate it. Um, and also, I think it surpassed um, car collisions, something like automobile collision. I can't yes. remember what was number one, but that's well, because that's we weren't they... driving in 2020. So yes. wait till the 21 data come out and I guarantee that'll invert again. Yeah, I'm going to share this too because I was trying to understand it last night. And so I I actually, oh, I don't know if I can do this as an Excel thing. Um, hold on. I couldn't, I was looking at the, uh, oh, I can't share it. Anyway, I'll just tell you this. I was digging into exactly what you're talking about because I saw that. And if anybody saw that who's listening, it's alarming because it's a media blitz all at the same time. And as you said, the CDC came out with a study a few months ago, but yesterday was the news blitz. And so everybody I know on the left is sharing this. Everyone's like alarmist about it. Um, and the headline is uh, gun deaths are now the leading cause of death in children, you know, age one to 19 surpassing car deaths. And so I pulled up all the CDC's graphs and I made an Excel sheet so I could understand it better. And it's exactly what you said. What I found is that um, suicides have increased, for one, and they're lumping they're lumping homicides and suicides by gun together in order to say that it's higher than the gun the car deaths. And when you separate that out, it's very alarming. There's also some racial differences that are very alarming. Yep. The yep. homicide rate among uh, is is very high among black children. And the suicide rate is very high among white children, um, which is both of those things are are alarming. But I, it's sort of like the articles weren't talking about all of these details. They just kind of were guns are killing more kids than cars. And there wasn't any discussion about um, 
the race, at least in the articles I saw, um, the, the suicide, why is suicide climbing? And as you pointed out the past two years, of course, we're going to see there is going to be a slight drop in motor vehicle deaths because people aren't going out as much. But also there's an increase in suicide and homicide when people are locked down and unable to work and you've got kids at home trapped with domestic abusers and you've got, you know, all of the, all of these increasing anxiety rates and stuff. And so, um, yeah, I'm sorry, I'm kind well, of rambling. I just, no, I'm no, no, you're, into you're that, hitting on a bunch different. of great, great topics yeah. there. One of which is that, uh, certain groups are real quick to trot out that suicide rates dropped in 2020. Um, but I just put a thing that uh, pirate can share in the, in the comment thread about, Oh yeah, overall, but guess who comprises the biggest majority of that in aggregate by raw numbers? White people, white adult males specifically. They dropped slightly and overall it was enough to drop the whole the whole thing. Uh, the whole total, but if you read the article, you'll find that youth and specifically minority youth all increased by like startling numbers of 30%, 40%, 50%. Uh, and we're talking, you know, um, 2.8 per 100,000 to 3.4 per 100,000. So you look at that and you're like, well, the numbers are pretty small. It's like, yeah, the numbers are small, but the percentages are large, which means we have a real desperation problem on our hands. So people are real quick to be like, no, suicides are going down. It's like, no, they're not. Like, not and, and we got to examine why. Was it because we were all locked down in 2020 and we didn't have the time away from our families to go like pull off the act? because we, we were being watched. I don't know that that necessarily is a marker for improved health. So um, I want to make sure that we're not just breezing over that. And I saw somebody in the comments too uh, said, uh, I don't know much about this topic. I'm just listening. And I really appreciate that humility and the curiosity. There's two words that I use quite frequently. And so I, I dropped one, uh, Parrot, if you want to show that uh, WTTA uh, introductory course thing, anybody's free to take this. It's, it's three hours. It's long, to, but I guarantee it'll be worth your while. Um, and if you take our course, um, you'll you'll understand gun culture a lot better. Uh, it's I'm part of the, the conversation. We talk a little bit about counseling, a little bit about ethics. Mike talks about the origins of the organization. And then Rob Pincus at the end, one of our the board members, he goes through a guns one on one thing, shows them on screen, talks about what they do, the mechanics um, and so forth. And, it, and I, it's a great overview. The part two course is different, also free. And if you happen to be a, a clinician of some kind, if you take that course and uh, we'll spit you out a certificate, you can usually wave that in front of your licensing board. It's good for continuing ed credit uh, because we of the topics we cover. It's actually also good for post-credit, at least in Nevada, which is peace officer standards and training. So if you're a law enforcement official, um, you can use that for your continuing ed course too. But this is a great way to understand that the, the whole topic is very, 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 like, it's nuanced and it's deep and it's uh, it's diverse. And um, I think it's worth appreciating, you know, quote unquote, the other side. I'm not big into the two sides thing, but uh, for that's what we're trying to do is pull, pull them together. So we have a better appreciation. Then we can make better informed decisions, have better informed opinions on like why mag mag capacity isn't going to matter if the shooter is yeah. well-practiced. And so it's like, Oh, we limited it to 10 rounds. That's cool. I just bought 14 magazines though. Yeah. And I can swap those things out real fast. Um, yeah. They don't, it's, like, it's what I found. And if there happen to be, I know there are sometimes leftists who watch my show and disagree with me on a lot. And 
uh, one of those people is now one of my good friends. <laughs> but uh, so if there's anyone hate watching right now who's not yet my friend, I'll tell you this. Uh, you, If you do want to make an impact and you do want to talk to people who own guns like myself, it's not a semantics thing to ask that you know a little bit about what you're talking about. It's 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 really just a people who know about guns can tell if you don't know what you're talking about. And so why does your opinion matter? And it's a respect thing. And it's a, you, you wouldn't listen to, um, if, if you heard someone talking about, uh, uh, science and yep. you could tell that they were crazy immediately and they didn't know anything they were talking about, you wouldn't listen to them either. And so that's, that's learn more about it. If you're going to have an opinion, that's all I'll well, say. Well, Carrie, I mean, that's why it's so critical for people in my profession to understand this and understand it well. So that when you, you're sitting across the, the room from somebody who's really struggling or maybe even worse, it's not them, it's their kid. Um, and they, they're an acknowledged gun owner. You don't go, where are your guns? Right. And scare them away. You go, so tell me about how you store your guns to keep them away from unauthorized right. people. And then they go, mm, that's different. I didn't expect that from you. Um, right. If, it's you, almost... if you don't understand, it's clunky. And then you lose, you lose rapport with your patient and then the patient doesn't want to come back and then bad things happen. That's why it's important. And, and uh, Pew Research from 2017, we know the number's gone up since then, said that 47% uh, of Americans either own a gun or live with somebody who does. That's one out of every two people that's going to walk through your door. You can't afford yeah. to be ignorant about it. Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, we do try to have, I know this is a heavy topic today. We try to have a bit of fun here once in a while. Do you mind if I read you something kind of funny I saw yesterday? I don't have this? fun. Sorry. <laughs> we have a mandatory one minute of fun. Okay. There uh, <laughs> this was just, this is exactly what I'm talking about. I'm in a couple of different groups on Facebook that I'm in a, a Democrats discussion group for my local community. And this guy posted, I thought this was really great, actually. This guy posted in the group. He said, guys, now he's posting to other Democrats there. Guys, in order for us to win the debate on gun control and be taken seriously and respected by gun owners, and on the other side, some of you some of you need to be educated on guns. I'm a firearm, firearm instructor and a licensed peace officer, and I've taken firearm cert certifications through, et cetera, et cetera. So please take my advice. And then he puts this in bold. Do not say assault rifles or assault weapons. You are going to lose all credibility and you are only hurting the party as soon as you say that. The proper language is um, high capacity rifle, semi-auto rifle, AR platform. He, he gives a couple of things you could say. Yeah. I've been fighting and testifying at the state capitol for safe storage, mandatory training and education and several other common sense laws since 2015. I know my stuff. If you have any questions, feel free to contact me. Okay, so that sounds great, actually. I'm like, if you're going to have... Because a lot of people in this group want to just like, I mean, maybe they want to do some things I agree with. I don't know. But they also want to do things I know I don't agree with, like ban rifles. First comment um, <laughs> is, oh, no, no. Here, I get so tired of the nomenclature stuff that gets thrown around. And honestly, it feels like it's just a distraction. And, 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 then, and then they go on to say, uh, uh kids died yes this is true and the same kind of gun is used over and over again the police wouldn't even engage the shooter um which tells me the police are overpowered and they're they're that these weapons should be banned but i just i just love i had to laugh that the first thing he said is i get so tired of the nomenclature stuff and it seems like a distraction here's an expert here telling you it would help you to make your argument with people who are gun owners if you know a little bit about guns and the guy's like nope yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, it just tells me that the people aren't interested in making a better argument. They're just interested in doubling down on their previous arguments. You know, let's yeah. take an analogy. Like, you know, you work with some black people and they're like, please don't use the N word. It's highly offensive to literally everyone. And you're like, it's just nomenclature. What's the big deal? It's like, <laughs> you just lost me there, you know, like, right. Um, and, the, you know, he, he makes a good point about the assault part because most people view their weapons as defensive. Or yeah. you flip it around, you go, well, all weapons are assaultive. Like there, there's no like middle ground there. Yeah. Um, and as far as the 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 high capacity, it's not like it's not standard capacity. He's talking about a 30 round PMAG for an AR-15. That's a that's a standard capacity. Standard capacity. High capacity would be like a hundred, you know, a hundred round drum, then one of those things that hangs off the thing looks like a Tommy gun. Um, but standard capacity is 30 rounds, and then they can go down to 10 or or one. Um, mm -hmm. but it's yeah, it's it's a little silly. And and really the only difference in mechanical function between the AR and a pistol, a, a semi-automatic pistol, because they're both semi-automatic, is one is longer and it looks a little mm -hmm. scarier. And you, it's the bullets are a little thinner. And you see all this in the presentation that Rob does. Um, it goes a little faster, travels a little further. Mm -hmm. um, but I can take my, my Glock uh, magazines and put in a 33-round Glock magazine in my pistol. So it's like, well... What's the difference between that and the AR? The AR looks scarier or what? Um, right. And, it, and that's that's basically it. It's like it looks like it belongs on the battlefield, which I go back to emotional functioning. What emotion is compelling you to do what? Yes. Um, learn about the mechanics. If you if you want to ban an AR, you you get you're going to have to point to some unique feature on that platform that invariably will ripple across ninety percent of modern firearms. So at that point, you might as well just like repeal the Second Amendment, say the government doesn't have a duty to protect yes. your freedoms. And then let's live in that utopia for a second. We'll live in that magic wand paradise. How do you go confiscate the 300 and some million guns that would fall yeah. under that? Um, that That's war. You know, it is and war. good luck getting the 75% legislatures to approve it. Um, when this I just got done telling you that half of America owns guns. It's like, yeah. this is not going to happen. So we got to meet this problem where it is, not where we think it should be. I absolutely agree, Jake. And that's that's sort of where I'm at now when I do and and I'm grateful I have people um in my um at least in my Facebook world. Facebook's so different from Twitter. It's I don't know, even if I don't know people, I've just met them online or they follow me or whatever, I still feel like it's more of a like a family type place. And you can have I haven't been on for almost a decade, so I, conversations. I wouldn't know. But occasionally I saw people who would disagree with me and there've been a couple of the past few days about gun stuff. And um, I do get to that point with them where I, it just doesn't, if they know about guns and they think it out, I don't understand the reasoning behind it. Because if you're targeting, as you just said, if you're targeting um, AR-15s, they only count for like less than 3%. And that's all rifles, not just AR-15, not just- Yeah, that's low hanging fruit. Rifles. It's it's feel good it's stuff. Right. And it's it's like, it doesn't do anything to do anything. It doesn't do but anything. It, but it sure scores political points, right? Right. So I actually have an answer to that. Um, it has to do with, um, you know, why why we do certain things and what our motivations are. Um, we're guilty of it in the in the healthcare community too. And I'll, I'll specifically focus in on mental healthcare. So- Here's what happened, I think, during COVID too. Um, COVID, gun control, um, healthcare. Uh, it's a whole bunch of things that could follow this format. So check this out. All right, patient walks into my my office, and I say patient, not client, because client sounds transactional. 
uh, patient actually has a root word uh, or it's, has its roots in the word pati, which is to suffer in Latin. So it's like patient is the one who suffers. And so therefore I'm a caregiver to the one who suffers somewhere along the way, uh, a few decades ago, the mental health profession wanted to get away from the medical model because I don't know, they want, they didn't want to be seen as like hospitalizing people and mm -hmm. I don't know, something or other, but now it's like, we've gone too far away and I don't think we're taken as seriously. But anyway, that point aside, so a patient walks into my office and says, um, hi, Jake, uh, made this appointment. I go, great. What brings you in today? And they go that, ah, and they state a problem. Great. We have a problem. And we will put that at the top of the list. Now I go, what do you want to do about that? And now we have a goal. And then I help them formulate objectives to the goal, smaller achievable things. They should be time limited and they should be measurable of some, in some way, even if it's personal, personally measurable. And then below that, we have intervention. Intervention to the objectives, to achieve the goal, to solve the problem. Okay, COVID comes along and it's like, interventions. It's like, what are we trying to do here? We never agreed on the goal. Was the goal zero COVID or was the goal to stop the spread or was the goal to uh, keep yes. people safe or keep them out of the hospital or keep them from dying? We, we don't know. There's like 17 different goals, but boy, we sure had the interventions. Okay. Gun violence. Um, and I, and I, I, I don't really have a problem with that term. I have a problem with that, what it means to various people because we, we take suicides and we throw them in there. It's like, well, I guess technically we could define self-violence as suicide. So maybe, okay, fine. But I'm not really interested in that. I want to separate out suicide. So, but we'll just call it gun violence. I'll, I'll meet him there for that sake. What's the problem? Is the problem death? Is the problem premature death? Is the problem something else? Because we already have laws that prevent a lot of that stuff on the books. So we have to define the problem. And then we got to go to the goal. How will we know to get there? How do we measure it? What, what's the time limitation on this? And then we got to go to the objectives. But nobody does that. We just go straight to interventions. Like, uh, ban, ban high capacity magazines. It's like, uh, what's the objective and what's the goal and what does that solve the problem? Cause now we're negotiating how much death is acceptable. Cause like I said before, it takes one round to take a life. You don't need 30 if I'm talking about suicides and of the 43,000 ish firearms deaths annually in America, 28,000 of those are suicides. So it's like, how, how much is a mag capacity ban or limit going to affect that number? How much yeah. is it going to affect the criminals who already don't obey the laws? We have to define the goal first. Unfortunately, <laughs> it's really hard to define a goal when there's political aspirations on the table. So I, I want to, I want people to get really logical about this. And I want them to get logical about when they go into mental health treatment, for example, like specify your problem area, then go to the goal, then go to the objectives and then go to the interventions. Medicine might not be the thing. Exercise might not be the thing. Might be a combination of the two. Might be listening to music. Might be just v -v 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 vulnerability and <laughs> acknowledging you need help and connecting with your spouse or something. So uh, we got to get precise with how we address these problems, not just start addressing them because it feels good. Yeah. Uh, I just want to put this chat up. Rami said, sometimes help with a small mm -hmm. goal formation. It just was needed. I like the way you think, Jake. You should almost get paid to help people think things out like that. Boy, I think I'm doing this for free for you. <laughs> right. Um, I, have a, I have a question about what you do with uh, um, Walk the Talk America when it comes to working with therapists, because you've talked a little bit about how mm. you're reaching out to the gun community. When you work with mental health professionals and you have sort of you have this uh, uh, training, this curriculum that you put together about about gun owners. And do you ever take therapists out to the range for the first yep. time or? Oh, wow. Yep. So that's, that's part three. Um, so let me tell you a story about the, the course when we first conjured it up at the time I was chairing my licensing board, 
And um, that put me in connection with a whole bunch of other licensing board people. Uh, so my board is the Marriage and Family Therapists and Clinical Professional Counselors in Nevada. So there's two licenses under one board. There's also social workers, drug and alcohol counselors, psychologists, doctors, nurses, dentists. They all have their own boards. And um, I was talking to the behavioral health people. And I said, you know, what would be cool is if we did cultural competence course about gun culture. And the hesitation was palpable because <laughs> they're like, I don't know, it's guns. I'm like, so, and then I spit out the, you know, one in every two statistic and they're like, well, you kind of got a point. And I was like, yeah, yeah, can't, can't squirm away from this. So I got, I got a, the course approved for continuing ed credit for license renewals. And uh, the first course was I don't know, 12 or 14 people. The second course was 12 or 14 people. And we did it at the range and it was three hours and we kind of raced through every, everything. Um, they got to shoot at the end. It was pretty cool. It was powerful for people who'd never done that before. Um, and we had it all set up. That was 2019. We had it all set up for March of 20 to go to Vegas. And then the world ended. And so mm -hmm. we, we canceled that trip. But what was very cool was the University of Nevada, CASAT, uh, C-A-S-A-T, which is a, an acronym for Center for the Application of Substance Abuse Technologies. They do more than that. They host programmings uh, for people. And that's what we did. They reached out and we connected and said, hey, let's host this virtually. So the next one, this is super cool. The next one that we did had uh, 74 people attend it. And it was all virtual, three hours, but no range, right? Because you're virtual. Right. And the next one had 236 people attend. Wow. And so we were reaching more people across more states. It was sick. Um, and we we're like, well, we got to do a part two. So the second of those uh, that we captured online is the one that's on our website. You could take that and watch, watch us do the thing on the TV for free. And then the second one, the part two. So there's part one, part two, and part three. Part two is um, testimonials, uh, four of them from police officer who happens to be a marriage and family therapist intern also here in Reno. He's an embedded resource officer for the Reno Police Department. Uh, retired U.S. Air Force Sergeant who's a suicide interventionist also. Um, clinical social work associate out of North Carolina who's one of our board members, Eddie Davenport, who also was a uh, first responder um, EMT. And then a uh, psychiatrist out of uh, UC Davis, Amy Barnhorst, who chairs the Bullet Points Project, which is out of their uh, university. And they deal with gun violence research and so forth. Uh, and they all gave their their testimonies about language to use and not use when dealing with their particular demographic. It was, it's really cool. And then part three, if you take parts one and parts two, uh, part three is the range time. It's kind of like the lollipop at the end of the doctor visit. You yeah. get to go out and shoot all these different guns and handle them. And and then what we do is we we debrief and we do a couple of vignettes along the way about what would you do if this person came in talking about a certain thing. And so we've only done one part three course, but it was, uh, it was I don't know, we got like, 18 or 20 people. We had more signed up than weather uh, conflicted. Um, we'd like to do another part three and that would be in person. So yes, we do that. And it's, it's really cool to see people's minds change. Even the most yes. anti-gun people come out going, you know what? I didn't have all this figured out. And that's not the point of the thing. It's not to change people's right. views. It's just to say, Hey, maybe, maybe have a little more humility and curiosity so we don't chase people away. So it's yeah. been good. Um, unfortunately, the, the response from the gun community has been much, much higher uh, and more interest uh, has been generated there than it has from the clinical community. Right. Um, I'm that disappointed. Um, I would like more clinicians to acknowledge they don't know what they're talking about. 
Uh, but that's hard to do for some of us, I guess. Yes. <laughs> I wonder I wonder where that is. Maybe it's all the degrees. <laughs> yeah, but, it's, uh, it's tough. I mean, like for 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 a profession that claims, you know, non-judgmentalism and lifelong learning, then we got a bunch of really certain people <laughs> and rigid thinkers. Yeah. It's, yeah, whatever. You know, I, I shared a photo recently of a, a, a couple of weeks ago or so of a my rifle. I used to, when I was in LA, I was a hand, I was a licensed NRA handgun instructor. My friend ran a, it was called mm. girls gun club. Um, and then I didn't teach rifle. I just took classes in rifle. It was fun. Um, but, uh, somebody said, somebody commented on it and they said something about, you know, would your old self have ever believed you'd be owning a rifle? I was like, no, this is my old self. That was one way in which I was a, an anomaly in the social justice world is cause I I'm from South Carolina and my, um, all the men in my family would hunt. My dad was army, you know, I grew up mm. around guns. And so I experienced exactly what you're we talking about. I know it's just an anecdote, anecdote, but I used to take feminists. I used to take social justice warriors to the gun range, the ones who were open-minded enough to go yeah. and people who were very explicitly anti-gun thought they should be banned. And it's sort of like uh, a vegetarian having a secret piece of meat, you know, it would be like that. They're like, <laughs> they're like I'm just going to try it this once with you only because I yeah, like you. Yeah. I'm going to come with you. And more times than not, they would leave there. That would not be their only time. It would no. change your mind. And again, that's not the reason why you're taking people. But um, if you're open and it, it's just one of those things of, of where you learn, well, hey, maybe it wasn't such a bad idea to be open minded and to to have that experience and get some knowledge and, and not everybody changed their mind. It wasn't a complete 180, but it, they definitely came away with a greater respect for the second amendment and maybe had some of their stereotypes about gun owners changed as well. And that's um, what we want. We, we just want people to be able to say, you know, I don't necessarily agree with guns. I don't know if I'll approve the second amendment, but I can get on board with what you're doing. Mm -hmm. We, I can back that, and and so far it's worked pretty well. I'm I'm not interested in recruiting people into the gun community any more than Glad is interested in trying to get people to go gay. You know what I mean? Or or like mm -hmm. uh, a cultural competence training on ethnicity is trying to get people to join NAACP. That's not that's not the point. We're not trying to convert people. We're trying to improve and augment knowledge and understanding so that we can have better, more robust, compassionate dialogue. Um, I, I used to be one of those two a comma, but guys also prior to 2019 and linking up cause I owned guns my whole, whole life, but they're always just a tool for my dad or my uncle's job, which was police officer. We hunted, but it was like, they stayed in the closet and collected dust all year. We never really went out in the desert shooting. I mean, maybe did that three or four times my whole life, um, until recently. And then I started training a little bit more and I got, uh, I got a concealed carry permit and, um, and I started carrying train a little bit more, but I was still like, yeah, I don't really know why anybody needs an assault rifle. And, and then I started talking to some of these, these folks in the gun community. And now I'm, I'm all, I'm completely understanding of why, uh, their shirts that say gun rights are civil rights. All gun control is racism. I'm like, yes. yep, I get it now. It took me a while. It. It took me it a took whole me a while, while too. Yeah. Um, but I get it now. And, and, and so it's really hard for me to unsee that when I see so many disaffected communities who have what appear to be and have no other justification except for uh, purposeful policies to remove access to this choice of defense. Inner city Philadelphia talked to Maj Torre about, um, you know, how, how easy it is for 
the single mom with four kids to obtain a firearms permit or a or get some training it's like you can't you got to drive to go get there and it costs you a whole bunch of resources it's like hey it's almost like the government's purposely putting in barriers to keep these people victims it's like yeah the impoverished the 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 destitute the you know they're just like i just want to protect myself because i live in a bad area and the police don't show up all the time yeah i got to be my own first responder but now you're putting these barriers in the way like fees and distance of travel and it's like yep i get it now i get why you would why you'd say that it keeps people dependent on the government. It keeps yeah. people um, in that victim mentality. And and it also, I'm sure you know this as a therapist who works with firearms, uh, some of those people I took with me to the range, it it, it helps you grow self-confidence. We would often have women coming in who yeah. had just been through something traumatic with either a stalker or an ex-boyfriend or something. And they were coming in to get practical knowledge on how to handle a firearm but they came away with more than that it would always be sort of this you have this um it builds self-confidence just like learning yep. just a little bit of proficiency in any skill and then yep. you're kind of that elevated i can do this it's demystified yeah. you know jiva just just holding a gun we had a gal up in oregon we were in a training up in oregon for yamhill county it was great it was eight hours long mike and i were up there with our uh with our friend derek from kids safe kids safe is a foundation that teaches kids firearm safety and teaches them trains them derek did this you know the showing of the guns and whatnot and there was a gal up there who was the the snickers across the room were pretty obvious because uh later we found out that she was gun afraid and um and and not anti-gun but like didn't really care for him she little little lady probably in her uh, late 50s early 60s and she she's like can i hold that and she walks up and she picks up the biggest one on the table it's just like wow <laughs> and then and then she wanted to try them all and then that opened the door for everybody else to like have permission to go up and be like yeah me too i'd like to see oh oh look the slide and the action and the chambering and it's oh so the mag drops out and but the bullet doesn't necessarily leave the chamber oh, that's good to know it's like this is all part of the training that you know, if you're working with people who are in crisis you got to know how the, the things function but so many yeah. people out there are on hotlines or they show up to houses as you know mobile response teams and they don't know what to do because they're like, oh, gun, scary. It's there. I don't know what to do. It's like, I can teach you how to make it safe. Like, yeah. it's that's not that hard. Um, so the more people who get curious about that, the more empowered they believe. It's like, again, I'm not trying to sell you stuff. I'm not trying to recruit you into the club. I just want you competent so you don't yeah. cause more problems when you show up. Yeah. Um, do you mind... Quickly, Jake, if I just read two of these chats, these super chats. Yeah, go ahead. I got um, 10 minutes. Cool. Jeremy. Thank you, Jeremy Turner. Gives a $10 super chat and says, I love what you guys do. Keep it up. And this one, Channel Julio. Hi. Hi, Julio. He says, this reminds me of the campaign in the military to remove the stigma of seeking mental health help. Yeah. Suicide is a huge problem in the active and retired military community. Could you pair up? We have done a lot of work with the VA locally and federally. Um, we continue to move forward that, you know, dealing with .gov in any form is kind of a hulking, slow moving machine. It's like steering an aircraft carrier, not a, not a jet ski, mm -hmm. but they, they love, they love us. They love what we're doing because we do focus in on some of those occupations that have firearms as part of the job and don't want to seek care because not just because of gun rights, but because it's their part of their identity, but also they don't want to be deemed unfit for duty because they are like, Hey, I've got depression or I've got 
post-traumatic stress issues and I don't want to, I don't want to be made fun of. And it's, it's not even limited to gun owners. Like there's, there's just occupations out there who don't want to acknowledge that they need help. Um, attorneys, plumbers and pipe fitters, uh, first responders of all kinds. Uh, so, so the extension, yeah, the, the invitation extends to everybody, you know, like, don't be afraid of us. Like, I'm not, I'm not a weird person. I'm not, I'm not hiding behind a curtain, pulling levers. I'm not, it's not something of the occult. Um, not going to make you sprout a tail or grow ears or anything like that. Um, we already have ears. That was weird. Horns is what I meant, but, um, come <laughs> in and get, ears. come in and get some counseling. You know, it's like, um, we, we all could use this help. And the more we work to make it a normal conversation, while maintaining fidelity to the profession, I'm not talking about the insta therapists who I could throw darts at. Um, the the professionals, the licensed ones, the people who have credibility and ethical codes and laws to which they adhere, um, we're good. Like we we can really help you. Most of us um, finding somebody who's competent isn't that hard. I dropped a. I don't know if Carrie, if you can do this. Uh, I think I can do it. Pirate left, but I dropped in a documentary on Walk the Talk America. It's about thirty-ish minutes long. Um, it's really enjoyable. It's very powerful. It's about a gal who lost her daughter to suicide by firearm. She was a a marine, and um, the gal who did the documentary is uh, was totally anti-gun, totally afraid of guns, blamed the gun. And this documentary shows her evolution through that. As as Mike and I take her out and and show her some things, and she actually shoots in the desert, and it's it's pretty good. I think you guys will enjoy it. Do you want me to pull it up on the screen? Uh, if you could just drop it in the chat, maybe. Oh, in, in the, the chat. Uh, okay. In the public chat. Cool. Yeah. And then people can just access it as they see fit. Yeah. I'll put it in there right now. And actually. We oh, thanks, be... Jules. What does she say? I couldn't have Jake as my therapist. He's too handsome. <laughs> I'm totally going to tell my wife. Uh, that's awesome. <laughs> I'm going to brag about that. That makes me, that made my go. week. Thank you very much. This has been a, this has been a bit of a black pilled week. I'm, I'm that, <laughs> that totally, see, I'm, I'm, I'm getting emotional. Emotional function guy it allows his emotions to be expressed. Yeah. Uh, okay. So I just dropped that in the chat. We can also put it in the description later. And yep. there was a comment earlier that I was looking for it. I couldn't find it. I think it was Renovatio who posted this, but I may be wrong. He was saying, I wonder what could be happening in society that's um, causing young men to feel more despondent than usual. Do you want to touch that topic at all or? Yeah, um, I do. I, I just, I, I want to make sure that we give it its due. Um, and I, I got a split here in about five minutes. Okay. But, so a lot is the answer. Um, and I haven't yet formulated my thoughts on it, but just this morning I was texting some friends. Here's where I, I, I distill it. Instant gratification. So what does instant gratification do and where did it come from? Well, it, it disrupts our ability to tolerate distress. And I think it started long before most of us were born, uh, at least probably on this channel, probably started sometime in the fifties, maybe with the advent of television. And then off of television, we got recorded television. And then we got like the, the microwave oven and then uh, some, some other things that made made things faster, made life better, mm -hmm. right? Um, instant hot water heaters on our sinks, that kind of thing that came through the 60s, 70s, 80s. Um, everything got faster, more compact, speedier. And then we get the advent of the computer age where um, you didn't have to write anything anymore. You didn't have to hammer away on a big typewriter. You could just do it like right there on your, 
your laptop, well, your computer, and then there was a laptop. And, and then there was a condensation of information into CDs. And so it just, everything gets faster and faster and faster and more and more and more. And now we've got the internet and it's really easy to go uh, kids these days, right? They, they, they've lost distress tolerance. They, they want everything instant and customizable. I, oh, not to mention the names of things that we consume like Facebook and Instagram and iTunes and YouTube. It's all like me, 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 my space, right? It's like it's the, the, the meta messaging on this is it's about you and no one else. It's highly customizable, which marketing is now doing and has been for a while. And you don't have to wait for it. Um, so what that's done is it's eroded our distress tolerance and I see it up and down all generations. My parents who are in their seventies now, I, I see it when they get frustrated with say the internet doesn't return the search results in 0.08 seconds that the way that they wanted. And it's, it's not, it's not about, Hey, I paid for this service. I want good service, which is a legitimate complaint. It's like, it's a frustration with the overall. And I think flight did that too, like flying around the country. It's just like all of the things that have sped up everything that we do. Mm -hmm. um, so when we lose distress tolerance, and I talk about this in our emotional, in my emotional functioning videos, it limits the ability to sit and be patient. And it also eliminates a lot of gratitude. So you see a lot on, you know, these, these little mimetic uh, icons that say, you know, practice gratitude, be grateful, be thankful, be happy, disconnect and enjoy life. Uh, For 1.5 minutes. Right? <laughs> yeah, totally. Right. Meditation yeah. solves it. You know, you download the call map and it's like, yes. that's, that's all well and good. Like you should. Yeah. But, but you, but you got to turn off stimulus elsewhere or at least moderate it. Um, we're, we're drinking out of a fire hose of information now and it's convoluted us. It's separated us. It's separated families. Parents don't know how to validate their kids. They don't know how to sit and be present. Just sit and be present anymore. I mean, I, I even find myself listening to podcasts on 2x or 2.5x speed now. I'm like, what am I doing? Yeah. Um, and and, That's and how so what you, happens? Yeah. Go ahead. You 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 push you push the baseline higher. It used to be like baseline of like whatever information of uh, 10 kilobytes per second, and now it's like oh 30 is possible. Oh, it's 100. Oh, now I'm up to a gig, and and now that's what I expect. My brain thinks that it, it needs that just to be awake. Um, we're going to go camping this weekend up at a cabin that we rented. And I, I, I like, I don't know if I can turn it off, you know, like mm -hmm. I, I want to so badly, but it, it's become a habit now. It's become an addiction. It's an addiction to fervent chaos and inner information consumption. So that trickles into the family. Uh, kids have screens. Screen time in and of itself is a problem. There's blue light that stimulates the brain, keeps you awake, screws up your, your, um, your rhythm, um, your circadian rhythm. I lost the moment, the, the word there for a second. Um, this, this ripples across. And then when we don't have distress tolerance for what we're doing in life, we don't have distress tolerance at the movie theater in the line at the checkout at the restaurant for the server. It's like, we can't just be at peace anymore. So that's, that's my, that's my offering. And so where do people go to find satisfaction and fulfillment? Well, anywhere they can, anything that entertains them. It doesn't matter if it's useful or substantive. And I think, unfortunately, um, medicine has done that too. Western medicine is like, it's removed death as a concept. Uh, it's like, you're not allowed to die anymore. Uh, and if you, uh, if you get sick, which you're not supposed to get sick, by the way, you're, if you get sick, we have a pill to cure you. Mm. Um, so you're not even allowed to suffer in life. Um, 
pandemic comes along, weird disease killing people. And we're like, well, someone must stop it. It's like, this is, this is part of life. Death is part of life. We've lost touch with it because Western medicine has said that it's not supposed to exist. We've also outsourced birth, by the way, like we outsource birth to the hospitals. We outsource death to the, to the, uh, you know, the, the, the funeral homes. Um, so we've lost touch with life itself, I think, and, and all it's, all it's, uh, great splendor. Um, and we've gone ping, 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 and stimulate, 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 stimulate all the time. So, uh, I got more to say about that. It's eventually I'll formulate some crystalline version of that. Uh, that's not me rambling. But... I, I agree. I love all of that. Uh, I mean, it resonates with me, what you're saying. And I've seen it in the, the short attention span, um, in myself and in others and people I, I watch on my one of my gig jobs, I get to people watch, um, and and everyone seems to have a shorter attention span and just that discomfort with any kind of patience. That's why I made you guys wait this morning fifteen minutes. I was thinking of you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm, gonna, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm gonna drop uh, in. Um, I'm gonna drop in another uh, video here yeah. from a gal named okay. Catherine Boskill, who's a researcher with Rand. This TED talk, she she discusses uh, why it's bad that we have such a fast pace in our society right now, and how we're not evolu. Our brains are literally not evolutionarily developed to absorb it. It's basically what mm -hmm. I just talked about, but she says it way better because she does it for a living. I'm just some guy with an opinion. Um, yeah, I have the antidote though, and the antidote is understand your emotional functioning better. That's why I'm such a big fan of emotional functioning. If you know how your brain works and you know your ten core emotions. Um, you can tolerate them better, know what they're trying to tell you, respond better to the environment, and then it improves things like vulnerability and intimacy within and among your group. So mm -hmm. that's the end. Oh, and by the way, our, our our groups, our tribes are not supposed to be thousands or tens of thousands or millions. They're supposed to be like dozens. Uh, so so that's, a, that. that's an issue too. I definitely feel that. I'll do, I'm just going to plug a book real quick. And I mm -hmm. know you have to go. I, I recommended this to someone last night online who um, we were messaging who, who's feeling like there's so much noise right now um, and, and needs to take a break from being online and, and other things with all the news. And there's a book that these friends gave me for uh, my wedding. If you guys, if you're an atheist, you probably won't be interested. If you're a believer, it's called every moment holy. And it's, it's a beautiful book just physically. It feels like leather. I don't know if it's leather, but anyway, inside there's all these liturgies, these prayers that you can do out loud and they're meant to be said out loud and they're long and the writing is beautiful. Like the guy's almost a poet. And he has a prayer for everything. And it's called every moment holy because it's got different moments in there. And there's a prayer for being impatient, standing in line. Hmm. <laughs> and and I, I, I think what it does is volume two. I have volume Sorry, one. Just, I guess yeah. I should get volume two. But um, there was there's hmm. I always I always find myself going to it now. I didn't think I would use it so much. But what it does is it it well, you're not on your phone for one, because you have to take the time to read this thing out loud, or if you're reading out loud with your spouse, and it really just focus your, focuses your mind, talk about meditation on the words that you're saying and takes you out of that anxiety or whatever it is you're having, whatever the, the prayer is about. But I don't know, it was just in my mind last night and you made me think of it. So I recommend Well, now that I'm book. seeing multiple titles of the same. Is it Douglas Kane? Is that the one you're looking at? Uh, I believe so. Let me see. Douglas Kane McKelvey. It's on and Ned Bustard. It's on my because uh, there's another one by a guy named Finn Meyer. Uh, I'm guessing it's the Douglas Kane McKelvey one. It's the uh, this one. Yeah, it's, got yeah, it's Douglas Kane McKelvey and Ned okay. Bustard. That's the one I have, volume one. Okay. Um, yeah. It's great. It so looks pretty. 
just a little it is it is a pretty book yeah there's all kinds of there's a there's a there's some uh ones for bad things you may be going through and also good things that help you celebrate like ritual and take a moment to enjoy there's one for morning coffee <laughs> like a liturgy for morning coffee i'm like okay um jake thank you so much for yeah, sharing your time and wisdom with us today just tell people again where they can find the website um uh and, and we so have it below uh, if you want to learn about the emotional functioning stuff, zephyrwellness.org, Z-E-P-H-Y-R, wellness.org. Uh, and then just type in in the search uh, emotions or emotional functioning and pop right up. Walk the Talk America or WTTA.org is the guns and mental health stuff. Uh, and you take free and anonymous mental health screening there. And then uh, Zephyr has a YouTube channel where you can see some of my videos. Uh, I'm one guy on it, but Zephyr has a channel. <laughs> the guy is me. But uh, Zephyr Wellness on YouTube. And then on Twitter, you can find me at Jake Wisk, J-A-K-E-W-I-S-K. Um, and uh, yeah, no, it's my my pleasure, my honor to do this because I want to keep people out of my clinic. Like I'm trying to work myself out of a job. So the more I can push this into the, the public sphere and help people solve their own problems, the better we all are. If I have to do literally any other work for a living to pay my bills, I'll be happy to because I'll be doing it in a healthy community. That's great. Thank Well, thank you for everything you do. And thank you guys for hanging out with us today. Take care. Oh, the podcast. Did you shut it? Wait, what happened? Oh, sorry, the podcast. I forgot. We have a Guns and Mental Health podcast and I have Noggin oh. Notes, which is the other podcast. Oh, okay. oh Noggin Notes. Okay. Noggin Notes and Guns and Mental Health. Play us out. Hey, uh...